as we are called to be righteous, we must practice those things that lead to righteousness. The Lord called us, his people, to be righteous, a righteous people, then we must practice those things that lead to righteousness. Remember, we are not good enough to be fortunate to be righteous in our own way of being. So righteousness comes from the Lord. And so in order to practice righteousness, we have to practice that in the Lord. Tonight we're going to direct our conversation. Our Bible study tonight will deal with eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. I'm sure the ladies, I know back in the day, for some of us that used to do with layaway, you go to the store and you see something that you like but you can't afford it, you put it on layaway and you keep your eye on your layaway, your nice coat, your nice shoes. You laid it away and your eyes are on it. And you go and you, you go and pay a little something here, a little something there throughout the month until probably 30 days or whatever, however long it takes. You get your stuff. You had your eyes on it. <laughs> That's right, Brother Scarlett. Not a lot of people, I don't know, maybe one or two stores do layaways now. I don't think a lot of stores do layaway. And and the one or two stores that do layaway, they probably only do it around Christmas time. So we don't have a lot of layaway going on anymore. Because we're called to be righteous, we must see spiritual disciplines as a means and not an end. Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4, let's look at verse 1. Remember, I want you to be smart Christians, real wise. And so when you're reading your Bible, I want you to take your time as you read your Bible and let your mind and let the Holy Spirit help you to go through what you're reading. Don't just read your Bible like you're reading something uh, a newspaper or an ad or something on your computer. Take your time as you're reading it and say, God, help me to understand what I'm reading. Okay. Never read the word of God without asking the Lord to help you understand what you're reading. Ephesians chapter four, verse one says, this is the apostle Paul that's talking. He wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And so the Apostle Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So right away, right out the chute, the Apostle Paul says, we are called to a vocation, okay, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering." forbearing one another in love. I love that part that says we must walk this walk with lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering. A lot of times when we become Christians and we start suffering a lot, we give up on God. No long-suffering. We just, we just want, as soon as I start living for God, everything got to go good. And when things start going bad, we want to just leave until it gets good. Like we, we walk away and says, God, call me when it gets better, because right now I'm not going to be suffering with that. And the Lord probably just smiles at us, says, OK, so we got to walk a certain way, meaning we got to live a certain way. OK, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, unity is very important. Um, here is a big one that we have a hard time doing, that sometimes you're a part of something and you don't really necessarily agree with everything, and so you have to make it known. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. You know what that is? In case you don't know, that's you not being unified. And the Bible talks about God has a problem with us when we don't keep the unity. You're better off going to be with a group that you know you can be unified. But, but, but be smart about it because you know what? If I'm one that's not always in an agreeable kind of situation, I might not agree with you, but guess what? I'm going to go be with Sharon and I'm not going to agree with her either. And then when I can't agree with her, then I'm going to be with Izzy and I can't agree with Izzy. And I just keep on going on because I'm just an, I'm not an agreeable person. And I didn't want to face that fact. <laughs> Don't get quiet on me tonight. Work with me. But the Bible wants us to, 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 to be in unity, to be in unity, to be as one, to flow in order, because God wants things to be orderly. Verse number three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, right? For there is one body and one spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. The ladies that just got baptized tonight, you see that? One faith, one baptism. There's not two different baptisms. There's not three different baptisms. There's only one baptism. And the baptism is in the name of Jesus because you got to take on his name. And so there's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and when you receive the Holy Ghost, he's in all of us. <laughs> Ephesians, still in chapter 4, we'll jump down to verse 11. Verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So here we go. He said, I gave you all these gifts. Now, what did he give the gifts for? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So let me go back and educate you a little bit more. If you are a saint of God, you need to be in a place where you are given the gifts that God gave you to help you become perfected. You see how much God loves you? God said he has given you gifts. And I know we like to think about, you know, spiritual gifts to lay hands and all of those things. But that's not the only thing God is talking about. He says, I gave you pastors. A pastor is a gift to you. And so I learned a long time as a pastor, I am a gift to you. I'm, I'm not superior to you. I'm, I'm your gift. Now, I, I'm leading you because the Lord is leading me, so I'm leading you, but I'm not here to be your boss. I'm not here for anything other than to be a gift. A gift's supposed to help you. A gift's supposed to make things better for you. And so, I'm a gift to you. He gave the saints of God gifts. 
so they can be complete in Christ. Verse 13, till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or woman. Don't mean perfect again without blemish. It means complete. Okay? Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more. Listen to this. What he's saying is he is trying to make sure this is not us. Look at this. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So the bottom line is, God is is wanting us to not be tossed to and fro, meaning unstable. God don't want us to be unstable. God don't want us to 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 every everyone every so often is he we come up with some new teaching. The Bible is the word of God. God don't give us anything new. And I remember the apostle Paul said um Bob he says if if I or an angel from heaven was to preach unto you any other gospel, let them be a curse. So I can't teach you anything than what's in the Bible. I can't make up something new because God says, Paul, the Lord instructed Paul to say, if anybody teach any other doctrine other than this word, let him be a curse. Ephesians 4 We'll start 17 and we'll go to 19. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. What does he mean by other Gentiles? It means that you don't walk how unbelievers walk. An unbeliever in you. Oh, my God. Help me, Lord. An unbeliever in you should not live a similar life. If you and someone that you know is not a believer or not as committed to Christ like you, if you and them are kind of the same, something is wrong with you. I'm not supposed to be like everybody else. So when I start to strive to be like the people that are what the Bible calls Gentile people, then my issue now is I'm not pleasing Christ. Because the Word of God said we should not live like Gentiles live. We ought to live as Christ-centered people. And so we can't live like other Gentiles. How do Gentiles live, Bob? It says, Gentiles live in the vanity of their mind. Oh, man. You know how we're like to tell us, whatever you feel like, just go ahead and do it. Okay, then if you operate like that, you're a Gentile. You're not a Christian. Don't be mad. Just understand what's going on. I always say, just be a big boy and be a big girl. If you're just living the way you feel and the way you like it, then just know you're not living for Christ. Be man enough or woman enough to say, well, I'm just doing me. And I understand that I'm not pleasing God right now. Just say it out loud sometimes. Because you know what? That helps you in the long run when you say, listen, I know I'm not living right. 
but I'm going to get it together. When you say that out loud, you have no idea what that does for you as opposed to you saying to yourself, well, everybody kind of doing it, so I'm not that bad off. Yep. We put ourselves in trouble when we start to say this is not that bad. Can I slip this in real quick? Man, sorry for slipping this in, but I got to slip this in. We on Facebook and we see that people have fell off a little bit and we telling them they they all right. But that's you being somebody's BFF and you you know they slipped a little bit and you telling them they're okay? Why don't you just message them on the side and say, girl, you know I love you, but we you used to be in a different place. If we care, but you know what we you know why we don't do that? Because we want to also do what we want. And we don't want nobody to tell us that's not right. So because I want to do what I want and I don't want nobody to tell me that's not right, I just tell you you're doing all right when you're not doing all right. (laughs) Listen, we're trying to spend eternity in Christ. And so we don't have an opportunity to play games with this life. We just need to say it for what it is. And keep moving. Hey, I'd rather you hurt my feelings now than I miss out on heaven. When are we going to be bright enough to say, you know what? I don't care if you hurt my feelings. If you tell me the truth and it hurt, it just has to hurt. Because the most important thing is that I have a right relationship with Christ. And one day I'm getting to heaven. So if you say something to me that hurt my feelings, I just need to put my tail between my leg and just walk away and say, I got to get that together. The other day, here's something stupid, but just trying to make a point. The other day, my wife, and I think Patrice said to me, you don't wear your retainers anymore? I felt small. I haven't stopped wearing my retainers since that day. They don't even know. I didn't say one word to them. I just, man, that's not good. And the first day I put my retainers on, it hurt because I guess my teeth was moving. They was right. I didn't want them to be right, but they was right. I didn't tell them. Oh, I didn't start arguing. They was right on. Because when I put those retainers in, it started hurting. And so now that I've been doing it for a few days, it's back normal. No hurting. They were right. But I could have just been what most men do. Just leave me alone. I know. Exactly. You know, most men, I know. Leave me alone. You get on my nerves. I could have just did that. But I, I, I listen, I just, I told myself, I don't want to be an idiot. I just got to be smart. And when you tell me something that I know is legit, whether I like it or not, let me just hold on to it and do something about it as opposed to getting mad. We need to do our brothers and sisters better service. If you're you're afraid of telling them the truth, then don't tell them nothing at all. But don't tell them a lie and tell them they're okay when they're not. How does Gentile walks? Having... The understanding darkened. Remember we talked about that Sunday? That when you become a Christian, you get wisdom that you didn't even understand that you had? Well, it, well, the opposite of that is when you're not a Christian, your understanding is darkened. Whether you want to agree with that or not, this is God's word. That if you are not walking in Christ, your understanding is limited. It's darkened. You're not seeing clearly. So as a non-Christian, having 
your understanding darkened, being alienated from God, the life of God, through the ignorance that is in you because of the blindness of your heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, just out of control behavior, to walk, to work all uncleanness with greediness. So let me finish up. Ephesians 4.22, go all the way to the end, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Remember we talked about that Sunday. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Any one of us, me including and you, any one of us that decide that we're going to live the way we want, we become corrupt. Any one of us that lives the way that we want and not according to Christ, we become lustful and deceitful and corrupt. Nothing you can do about it. If you got a problem with that, go to heaven and talk to Adam. Now you got, now you have inspiration to get saved and stay saved because you want to get to heaven so bad. Adam! Why am I corrupt and deceitful and lustful? Because you messed up. Yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying. Somebody say lying. Remember what I said about lying. Lying didn't come from human beings. The Bible says the devil is a liar and the father of lies. When you're the father of something, it means you invented something. You created something. So lying was created by Satan. And we know it. We've got the scripture to back it up. He lied to Eve in the garden. So when we start lying, we're even outside of our own nature. And our own nature is no good. But even when we start lying, we're outside of our nature. We're now operating in the nature of the devil. Lying. So put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't go to bed without praying and asking God to forgive you of your sins. Huh? A lot of people go to bed and don't pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins. What if you die in your sleep? Make sure you pray every night before you close your eyes and ask the Lord to forgive you for all your sins, please. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needed Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. When you talk to people, do you encourage them and make them feel better, or do you just suck things from them? When people see you coming, are they like happy to see you because you're going to encourage them, or they try to hide from you because you're going to take from them? You didn't know that. You didn't know people think like that, huh? Uh oh, here she come. 
Let me see if I can just act like I'm busy. I'm going to just act busy or I just got to go. All of a sudden, I got to go. Why? Because you never get encouraged by her. You feel like she sucked the life out of you. We need to minister to one another. Encourage one another. Let people be happy to see you because you're getting ready to encourage them. They know every time they come around you, there's this good vibe that comes from you. So they like that. That's important. That's the word of God. The Bible says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind. Man. You see why some, listen to me. Be careful how you let the news and all the things that's going on in the world, be careful and let it draw you in. Because I'm not taking side with nobody. I t- Remember what I've been saying to you. Take sides with the Bible. Don't take sides with people. Because if we will do this that the Bible says, simple. I'm not even telling you to get saved. Be kind one to another. That's what the Bible says. I'm not even telling you're going to get saved. If we just do that one little thing, the Bible says, be kind one to another. You know what I mean? You know how much stuff we would just cease from happening just by being kind. So I don't even want to hear about all the other stuff. Because some people might be crazy, but are you being kind? No, I'm not being kind to them because they're not kind to me. I didn't read it. Be kind to one another if they're kind to you. I did not read that. I did not read be kind one to another if they're kind to you. It just said be kind one to another. It didn't, it didn't stop there. Listen to what it says. Tender hearted. So not only do you need to be kind, you need to be tender hearted. You need to forgive one another. Even as God for Christ's sake had forgiven you. A whole lot of good stuff there going on. We need to talk about that a little bit. So that's what we'll do. We'll have discussion. So let me ask you, as you are reading this passage tonight, what are some of the things that you notice about the new man? Not the old man, because the old man is corrupt, deceitful, lustful, anger come out of the old man, all that stuff. But what did you discover from the new man? The, the, the nature of Christ, when you're born again, what, what's the nature? What, what, what kind of things that you picked up on? Is there something anyone want to share that you picked up on that you realize the Bible is saying we should do when we become a new creature, a new individual, because now we're saved, we're born again? Did anybody pick up, pick up something that you feel like, man, I need to start doing that? Anybody? Yes, Bob? Yeah, I, I'm like uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Turn it off if you have to. Because if you listen to it long enough, you're going to be pulled on one side or another. Oh, yes. You're going to take side. Remember what I said. Your experiences and your emotion will cause you to take a side whether you want to or not. 
And the only thing that's going to save you from taking a side with everything that's going on in our world is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. If you let the Word of God guide you and you let the Spirit of God guide you, you will not get pulled in. But if you don't, you're going to get pulled in on one way or another. And neither way is good. Don't let nobody fool you. Neither, because why? We already read this scripture. The scripture says the human nature is corrupt. So, so, so if you're just down the middle and you're trying to be a good person, you're not trying to side with this one and that one, you're still not good. So neither side is good. Nobody is doing right except for those that will follow after Christ. That's what you got to focus on. Don't let your emotion pull you into a situation where you start to sin against God and not be able to spend eternity with him. Do like Bob do or what Bob did. If, if it's getting too crazy for you, turn it off. Turn it off. Because sooner or later it's going to mess with your heart. Uh, and before you know, you're going to be able to identify with something that, you know, you might have experienced and it tapped into your emotion. It tapped into your hurt. It tapped into something you experienced. And now you find yourself just being pulled into one direction or another direction all because you listen to it. That's important. In this passage of scriptures, all of what we just read, we get to see how we need to minimize the old man and maximize the new man. Remember, the new man is that unique nature of Jesus Christ. The old man is your nature, what you were born with. Uh Uh-huh. That thing, I know it feels good. You walking in it, make you eat good food. Do all what you like to do. It's corrupt. It's no good. And if you keep on following it, it will destroy you. You have to follow the nature of the new man. So what you have to do is minimize yourself. This is why it's, this is probably why it's challenging and difficult to live for God. Because what God is telling you is minimize who you have learned to become and maximize this life that I need you to live. And that's hard. And who fault was that? Who fault was that? It's our fault. We we didn't come out the womb living for Christ. Because if we came out the womb living for Christ, that life will be simpler to live than if we just did what we did. Came out the womb and just living how we wanted to. And so now we, we learned a certain lifestyle. And so now we come to know Christ. And Christ says, well... All of how you've been living, got to change. And you say, what? I can't do this? I can't. I always laugh. I say, that's why people don't come to church. Because they start thinking, you telling me I can't do this? You telling me I can't do this? This too? And they said, nah, church not for me. <laughs> you know what your response need to be? You can enjoy this life. I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years if maybe you're lucky. But after it's over, it's over. And you will not live nice after that. So I understand that you find it hard to stop lying. I know you find it hard 
to stop cursing people out. I know you find it hard to look a certain way how that would please God. I know you find it hard to stop going drinking and stop going poor. I know it's hard. But the bottom line is, if you don't, you can never experience eternal life with Christ. Uh Uh-huh. Paul explained and illustrated various elements of the old and the new. He painted a picture of our past and also one of our future. Listen to this. It is important to keep in mind that Paul wrote this letter, the book of Ephesians, to those who had already experienced salvation as preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. When Paul wrote this letter to the people, the people of Ephesus, these were people that were living for Christ. So, let me let you feel good, because you look like you're not feeling too good. So let me let you feel good. The good news is, if Paul wrote this letter to church people saying, stop lying, don't be angry with one another, stop fornicating, stop lusting. If he wrote that letter to Christians, it means you can say, oh. So when I mess up, that, 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 that's not like outlandish as a Christian. That's what it means. That, he wrote it to Christians. So it means when you messed up, you're not doing something that caught God by surprise. or you're not, It's not like, you, you know, it's, it was impossible for you to mess up. He wrote it to Christians. And he's writing to Christians saying, you know, you know stop lying and stop stealing and all these things. Christians. So Christians stole, steal. Christians lie, Christians drink, Christians do all these things that they shouldn't do. They do. But the good news, Paul wrote to tell us, but you shouldn't. Right? So that should be encouraging. So when you told that big fat lie the other day, and you're like, man, I'm a Christian. How could I possibly do something like that? Because you're a Christian and you're still in this flesh. You're walking in this flesh. That's why you told that big lie the other day. Uh, yeah, that person that got you mad and you cursed them out, you gave them a couple from your mind, what do you say, gave them a piece of your mind? I know you walked away feeling bad because you're like, I'm a Christian. Yeah, Paul was talking to you. So that's the good news. So you're not doing something and, 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 you know, it's like, how is that possible? No, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. But Paul wants us to know that we must not be doing those things. Paul described the old life as one led by futile minds and darkened understanding that alienates us from God. So when you live your life the way you want, you can lie to yourself all you want and say, well, God knows. Well, God knows, but God not working anything on your behalf. You know the only thing that God knows when you're not living for God? Repentance. We just talked about that when we did the baptism tonight. That this, is, this scripture is hard to deal with, but it's the word of God. John 9, 31. For we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a doer of his will, him he heareth. So, what does that mean? You can talk to God all you want. 
not having a relationship with God, he will, he doesn't have to respond to you. Let me say it that way. He doesn't have to respond to you. So you can talk to him all you want. However, if you're not a Christian, but you say, God, I just did something really bad. I'm asking you to forgive me for what I just did. As messed up as you are and as bad as the thing that you just did, he hears that. But don't go and just think that you can just pray every night without being saved. And God's like, I hear you. He just heard noise. Anybody missing that? Any, anybody understand what I'm saying? People, people that are not born again cannot just talk to God and God talk to them. It don't work that way. I know we have tricked ourselves to believe that for years. God hears everybody. He will hear your prayer if you begin to pray according to his purpose. That's where he's saying, but any man be a doer of his will. So when you begin to ask God to forgive you, God says, now you're heading in my direction. So let me help you with that. But if you're just making noise and just want to talk to God about nonsense, he's saying, blah, 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 I can't hear you, blah, blah, blah. He's not listening to you. You can fool yourself and think that he's listening, but he's not. He also recognized the role of our heart and emotion, the, the role our heart and emotions play in preventing us from moving forward towards the new man. You hear me talk about that a lot. I've been talking about that a lot. That our heart and our emotion is killing us. Because that's what, that's the main thing that drives our behavior, our heart and how we feel. The Bible says your heart is deceitful, it's evil, and out of it, just the issues of life and everything wrong is in your heart. You don't even know your heart. Only God knows your heart. So your heart is not a good thing to live by. Then it says, then we know that we always, I just don't feel that. And so we let our feelings. So between your heart and your feelings, you're doomed. But nobody can tell you. And your heart and your feelings will destroy you. You can't live by that. Because again, we're corrupt in our ways. We need the word of God to help us. If we remain unmoved by the word of God and the power of God, we will become lewd, unclean, greedy, corrupt, lustful, alienated from Jesus Christ. Paul went on to provide us with examples of the old man, which is, as we know, the human nature um, and, 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 and the new man, which is the nature of Christ. He went on and said the old man, anger, stealing, evil conversation. He just went on. Sexual sins, idolatry, obscene language, drunkenness. He went on to just talk all about that. And all of these things that he was talking about, he was talking about people who are born again, spirit-filled Christians. He was not talking about people that weren't living for God. So don't you be surprised when you do some of these things because you're still walking in this flesh. What it means is you've been feeding your flesh more than you've been feeding the Spirit of God that's in you. And so that's why some of these actions come from us. Paul explained a new life 
that was worthy of our calling. He declared that we become and remain united in the spirit of Christ. In this progression, we are told Jesus is the ultimate measure of our transformation. Everybody got to know that. Jesus is the ultimate measure of your transformation. Do not measure yourself with other people. Do not measure yourself with other people. Jesus Jesus Christ should be your only measurement in comparison and when you're trying to figure out how to live your life and if you're doing good or not doing good. Not anybody else. I'm about to give you a good one. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Really, really good scripture and text here. Verse 9 says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Look at this. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, listen to this man, big time Christian. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. He started comparing himself with the person that was in the prayer room with him. So he, he, he named all the other people that's just wrong. Then he started, that publican over there, I'm not like them. I don't do what they do. Listen to him. I fast. This is him in prayer. I fast. Twice in a week. Oh, the Lord don't know you fast, bro. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. There is something about humanity that gets stuck in this transition. Listen to me carefully. Jesus compared a Pharisee and a despised tax collector. As the two of them entered the temple to pray, their individual attitude And pursuit became very apparent. The Pharisee offered his prayers as a comparison of his life to the lives of the sinners around him, particularly the the praying tax collector nearby. With the Pharisee's boisterous confession, he listed sins not committed by him along with his successful spiritual disciplines. Within his prayer, the Pharisee viewed his own status in comparison to fellow sinners and found reason to be satisfied with his current state. Listen to me carefully. One of the reasons why you don't compare yourself with anybody is because of this. You're going to find someone that you can clearly see you're doing better than. And you're going to say, look at them. 
I'm doing way better than them. Here's what that does for you. You don't change. Once you find that person to say, man, I'm doing so much better than them. Look at them. They don't pray as much as I do. They don't come to church as much as I do. They don't give in the offering. And when they give in the offering, they barely give anything. Look, look at them and look at me. And all you're doing is setting yourself up to never change. And you can't see what's in your heart that's wrong now because all you're doing is looking at that person over there that's just, you're just doing better than them. That's what that Pharisee did. In the case of the tax collector, his prayerful confession were quite different. First, he humbled his demeanor, would not even allow himself to lift up his eyes towards heaven. He pounded on his own chest as he called for mercy, bemoaning his own sinfulness. As this man prayed, he was keenly aware of the great distance between himself and his Savior, Jesus Christ. Within his prayer, the tax collector viewed his own status in comparison to his Savior. He always found room for more transition to the new man. According to Scripture, the Pharisee was surely involved in some necessary calisthenics. Not cheating, not committing adultery, fasting twice, weekly, and tithing. Yet Jesus viewed this Pharisee as being lost in transition. He was so involved in his transition exercise that he forgot the destination. He had become a spiritual CrossFit competitor, but instead of declaring, I can do more sit-ups than you, or I can run further than you, he was boasting, I fast more than you. I give more in the offering than you. Yet in the end, he had forgotten Christ's ultimate purpose for humanity, not to be better than the other human, but to pursue the perfect one, Jesus Christ. We're not here to make ourselves better than anybody else. Every one of us individually, our goal is to pursue Jesus Christ. However you do it, that's your business. But all of us, our business is to pursue Jesus Christ in the best way we know how, not to compare ourselves with somebody else. If we will do that, we will get it together. And that's what the tax collector did. He pursued Christ. He humbled himself. The other dude was like, I'm doing pretty good. What is the purpose of training? 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Now I'm almost there. Give me a few more minutes and we'll be done. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather, than, rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. Listen, disciples, Christians, our exercise is godliness. Now, it's great if you can exercise physically, 
That would be wonderful if we all can exercise physically. But as Christians, our exercise that we ought to be focused on is godliness. We are training to be godly. Spiritual training is not done so we can become professional spiritual trainers. It is so we can become godly. Disciples are not involved in this new man transition to be competing one with another. Instead, we are on the journey in pursuit of our Savior. Huh. We got to keep our eyes on the prize. Getting to a close here. Missy, a mother and wife, has found herself overwhelmed in her role of being a parent. Daily dealings with diapers and dirty clothes wears on the demeanor of even the most devoted mom. Ditto for dad, helping with homework, refereeing siblings and rivalries, encouraging the downtrodden and moderating the overzealous all take their toll on paternal energies. Yet parents continue on. Week after week, month after month, year after year, usually for more than two decades, parents keep finding the strength and motivation to continue investing in their children. How do they do it? You should know that, parents. How do you do it? Just keep on going, no matter what. When the kid was a baby, you changed the diapers, you bathed the baby, you fed the baby. They grow up and they get crazy. You got to... Keep them going. You got to buy clothes. You got to feed them. How do you keep doing that? And you do that for at least two decades, 20 years at least and longer. Because, you know, kids these days, they don't want to go anywhere. They just want to keep on living off of mom and dad. Only time they want their own personal space is so they can do whatever they want. But other than that, they want to eat at home. They want to live at home. You know, they still want you to hook them up. You know, I talk about my kids all the time. When when they were younger, we took vacation. I paid for everything. They got older, and I tell them, give me some money towards the vacation. All right, Dad, not a dime. Not a dime. Not a dime. And they almost 30. Almost 30. They won't give me no money for vacation. So I had to, I had to get strong and just say, well, you can't come. That's what I had to do. Can't come. Because all those years when I paid for everything, you telling me you can't put a couple dollars in so we can go? Yes. Though disciples are in pursuit of spiritual and eternal goals, we remain limited by our temporal human frailties. This body that you live in gives you a hard time to do right and live right, but you can do it. Just as living and devoted moms, just as loving and devoted moms and dads can become overwhelmed in the ordinary, so can disciples become overwhelmed in our regular devotion practices. Just as parents can find laundry mundane, so can disciples find church services mundane. Like now, maybe a couple people find this mundane. Parents and disciples are both human after all. And as parents are recharged by purpose, so disciples are renewed when they remember their purpose. Here's what we're saying. 
You got to always keep your eye on the prize and know why you're doing this. We can just keep doing this and doing this for years and years and years and we lose our focus. And after a while, we just say, this is just too much. When you hear yourself saying, this is too much. When you hear yourself saying, I'm tired of this and I'm tired of that and I need a break. When you start hearing yourself saying that, it means you have taken your eye or your eyes off of the purpose, the prize. Because when you compare what this represents to, to compare with anything else, guess what? There's no comparison. Try comparing what Jesus Christ means, should mean to you and what he offers you will, with anything else that is in this lifetime. What's the comparison? You tell me. Where's their comparison comparing who Jesus is and what he can do for you with what you would walk away from him for? There's no comparison. So the only way we walk away from him, the only way we stop doing for him is what? We took our eyes off of him. That's all it means. And so we got to pray for our brothers and sisters that took their eyes off off of him because nobody in their right mind, nobody that, that, that understands and, 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 and pursuing Christ would take their mind, ta- take their eyes off of Christ that long to walk away from him. I've been saying this a lot. I said this last night, but I say it all the time because I've, I've figured something out that I need for you to know. So you are armed with it. Some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. When you make anything you're dealing with more talked about and more important than Christ, sooner or later you're going to lose out on Christ. That is the number one reason why people walk away from God. I watched it myself. You know, I like to do studies. I'm just paying attention. And here is what happened. I'm just going to get downright straight up with you. Here's what happened. My wife get on my nerves. I can never do nothing right. She always complaining. Stuff just never right. That's just day number one. And every day I say that. Then I bottled it up so much. I bottled it up so much in my own heart. Yeah, Bob. My wife just get on my nerves, man. She, she, she. And so now I'm telling Bob. And Bob said, well, and he's trying to give me ideas and stuff to try to work it out. And I'm saying, I tried that. Not working. And so I told Bob, then I go over to Izzy, and I'm just talking about talking about it, talking about it. And I just won't stop talking about it. It takes a hold of me. And I stop seeing Jesus. And I stop pursuing Jesus. And before you know it, I find myself out of church and away from Christ. And you're one. How did it happen? I let one thing in my life become more important and more talked about. Some things, God don't work it out immediately. And what you got to say is, well, God, you know it. I've prayed it. And you're not working it out. So I'm just going to ignore it. Forget about it and keep pursuing you because you know it, but you're not doing anything about it. So why am I going to waste time and effort when you know it, God? I'm your child. You're not doing anything about it. So why am I going to waste time on it? 
And what we have done is God is not doing anything about the situation, and so we think we can step away from God and just talk about it. It's almost like you talking about God. Because what you're really saying is, you ain't doing nothing about this, God. I'm supposed to be your child, and you keep letting me be in this miserable situation. And that's what you keep saying. And you keep making the situation bigger than God. And you keep complaining in your own mind, but really you're complaining to God. Because really and truly, isn't he all-powerful? Isn't he all-knowing? Isn't he all-present? Can't he do something about this? Well, he's not doing anything. So basically, you're saying, God, I'm mad at you because you're not doing anything about this. And so you keep talking. And before you know it, you're out of the church and your relationship with God is shattered all because of that one thing. I watched it millions of times. Well, I'm not going to exaggerate and say millions, but so many times I watched it. When those people show up, all they can talk about is their situation. Every time they show up, you just bet it. They come and tell you about the situation. Guess what happened last night? They get ready to tell you about the situation. Because it has taken them over. And those people, eventually, they will not be around anymore because they fed the situation. It became powerful in their life and God became minuscule in their life. That's what happened every time. So I'm telling you tonight, do your very best. When you have situations, pray about it. Fast. If nothing is working, God, I prayed, I fast. You're not doing anything. I'm moving on from this situation. No, I'm not telling you to get out of the situation. The three Hebrew boys didn't get out of the fire. They didn't get out of the fire. You, you, every time we pray to God, it don't mean he's going to make us get out of it. We think every time we pray, God say, get out. No. Sometimes you're going to say, stay right in that fire. I'll be in the fire with you, but stay right in it. Don't you go anywhere. Don't you do nothing. Stay right in that fire. And that's why we have a hard time with staying in the fire with Christ. We don't want to suffer. When all he's saying is just stay in the fire. I got you. If, if I thought that taking you out of the fire would be best for you, then I would get you out of the fire. Who loves you more than me? Who died for you? Who, who treats you better than me? Nobody. So if I thought getting you out of the fire was the best thing for you, guess what? I would have took you out of the fire. But if I leave you in the fire and I'm there with you in the fire, it's because I know that's what's best for you. When are you going to trust me? I was talking to my mom today. Let me put her on blast real quick. I was talking to her today and she called me panicking about something. And all I said was, can you check Jesus' track record in your life? She, she got quiet. You're right, son. You're right. I said, check his track record. That dude has always came through for you. I mean, we, and she, she knows it. I mean, it started on a day where her heart stopped working. Stop. She got a pacemaker right now. But, the, but before she even got to that point, heart had stopped working. And we prayed, and Jesus got to start working. That's just, that was just the beginning. I mean, her whole life, Jesus is just. And now you got this little thing going on and you panicking? I said, don't, don't even talk to me about this. I said, go, tra- go and check the Lord's track record in your life. Show me where he messed up at. 
Then you come back and tell me. And I'm telling all of you the same thing in myself. Go and check his track record. He don't mess up. He knows everything. Don't you worry about getting out of the situation. If you got to be in it, stay in it. Somebody got to tell you that. Stay in it. As bad as it is, stay in it. Not to mention, how are we ever going to experience the power of God if something don't go wrong in your life? How would the three Hebrew boys know God can deliver? They walked through the fire and it wasn't hot. They got a testimony, man. Can you imagine? Can you, nobody talked about this. Here's the revelation. After the fire, after, they, after everything was over, they lived, to, lived their life and say, they walked in fire and it didn't burn them. How would they ever have that testimony? They walked through that thing. was all over with. No smoke. Clothes not singed. Hair not singed. They didn't smell like smoke. They are, they're not burned. They had that testimony. You couldn't get it if you didn't walk in the fire. And remember, God's master plan is he needs for me to experience how powerful he is so I can say to you, baby, God is so powerful. God is so good. Let me tell you what he did for me. And when I tell you, you're like, really? He can do that? And I'm like, yes, he can because he did it for me. So he did it for me, yes, to help me, but he wants somebody else to know how good he is so they can come over on his side. So if you don't go through anything to tell about how good he is to deliver you out of it, how will his word spread and affect other people's life? God is good. We can't allow every day praying. Every, every Thursday Bible study, every Sunday service, some of us do extracurricular by having our classes. We do other things. This Saturday morning, we're going to be doing our planning committee, um, doing our calendar, all of these things. We can't get to the place where we say, I just can't, man. That's just too much. Because the bottom line is you have taken your eyes off Christ and it has become mundane to you. And that's why you're saying you can't. But if you stop and say, why am I doing this anyway? Then you will keep on doing it. If you would just stop and pause, why am I doing this anyway? Oh, that's right. And then you'll start doing it again. Then you'll start praying again. Then you'll make sure you don't miss church. Then you'll make sure you do all that you're supposed to because you'll stop and say, why am I doing this anyway? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. Why are we doing this anyway? Our goal is to pursue Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we're, suppo we're supposed to learn more about him. We're in transition. We're transitioning from our old self into this new life. We're in transition. Don't stop. Just keep on transitioning to where God has for you. Just keep on transitioning. Don't stop. Keep on transitioning. Anybody have any questions here tonight? You know, I like questions. <laughs>